Welcome to Playwright, a podcast about creating and sharing new ways to play. My name is Ryan Heyman. You can call me H. And I'm Ryan Quintel. You can call me Q. Ryan, I've been getting really into speedruns lately. I'm really impressed by all of these people who find these, um, these, these glitches and these exploits to be able to race through these games in ways obviously not intended by the creators, but uh, it, it made me kind of curious and uh, made me a bit worried, actually, uh, going back through our previous episodes. Did we leave unpatched exploits in our pitches that people can use to get through the episodes even faster? Because that's not what I want. I want people to really soak in these ideas and to really um, take their time and digest them. And But, you know, the video gaming community will find a way through it. I'm going to look through the code, but several of our engineers, and we have many, many on this podcast, Beautiful, wonderful team. I I love working with them. And we're going to dig into the code because we think that we have left a bunch of stuff on the table and we are going to be patching it all. So if you're listening, don't be surprised in the coming weeks. If you're audio player, you cannot skip forward or backwards. You can't uh, utilize those controls. You can't scrub, I think is what people call it on the timeline. Yeah, that's the thing, right? I consider that to be a tool assisted speed run through a podcast. If you hit that plus 15 seconds button. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I don't and this really. This isn't an any percent run. <laughs> no, absolutely not. And I don't, you know, we don't consider that legal here at playwright what if people try to monetize their speed runs through our podcast is that a transformative work man i, I, don't, I know. don't know i don't know you're right i don't know well anyways i think this is going to keep us both up for a very long time tonight <laughs> so, so uh let's let's get to the video game pitches first and then we can fix the structural problems with our podcast later so what are you bringing us today today I am pitching you an Assassin's Creed-like game without combat at first. In fact, there's phases. First is infiltration, almost a splinter cell, where you're Mm -hmm. going into cities, these small, contained, almost Far Cry-like size cities, where you are going through and learning about the people in the city and seeing their clothes and artifacts and the things that they value. Then, once you've gathered a sufficient amount of recon to your liking, you go back to your base and you construct Banjo-Kazooie nuts and bolts style a giant machine or vessel to essentially Trojan horse this city. Get them to open up their gates and let you in. Once you are in and your army is in, then phase three is you lay siege to the town or city and eliminate the commanders and the leaders and hooray you add another city to your belt and the goal of this game is to take over all the cities on the map by these methods of research manipulation and finally building your own trojan horse to take over each city all right well let's see where we can go with that start the clock there 
are you preparing for this to be like our final episode or something? Like you're really <laughs> mixing in all of our favorite things. Like this is going to be your swan song game. <laughs> I know. I've got uh, my classic building simulation of <laughs> stuff. We've got some spy action in here. And of mm-hmm. course, uh, we have got a you know, good open world to, to open things up. This makes me think of uh, back on the, I think it was Warcraft 3 that I used to do this on. Uh, I don't know if it was the most efficient strategy, but I had a lot of fun figuring it out and felt kind of clever. Uh, there was a certain type of unit that, uh, like a ghost kind of unit, I think it was for the Undead Legion. Mm. I'll have to, it's been a very long time. I think you're right. You could move it into an enemy camp. It would be invisible, and so it's really easy to sneak huh. into. I don't remember if it was invisible or disguised, but it was really easy to sneak into the middle of an enemy camp. And then one of your hero units could teleport everyone around him to any other unit on the field. So you can just kind of immediately burst out of the center of your opponent's uh, fortress. Ah, uh, yes. Kind of passing through all their defenses and stuff. This is a and, popular uh, StarCraft strategy as well. Okay. Getting sort of like you have vessels that are transport units. And essentially, if you can get one through that initial defense line and then kind of dump out the 20 units that are inside of it, you can really do some damage. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm interested in this portion of it. What I want to better understand is this, this first phase of the game, I guess, what would that entail? Because if it's easy enough to get one person into the camp and you know, why don't you just keep them there and just do that 50 times? Then you've got 50 people on the inside. (laughs) Right. Uh, That's a good question. Maybe there's only one infiltrator unit. And initially, when I started thinking of this, and of course, during my pitch, I pitched it as an Assassin's Creed-like experience, it might even be more interesting to zoom in super micro and go inside one building or something and have a gone home or Tacoma like experience where you're first person, you're able to pick up and look at objects and, and interact with maybe just one or two other people, but it's kind of a reading exploratory phase, maybe even with a time limit. Right. So then you have to like, Ooh, I, I saw a lot of iconography about, concept x or cats you know we'll use cats because it's the internet so i saw a lot of cat pictures and cat icon all this stuff i'm going to construct a giant cat looking thing and either designing it you could design it as a machine itself or as a vessel i don't know which is more interesting to you like perhaps this is just about constructing these vessels that have certain destructive capabilities uh, I'm not sure. Now, I'd be really interested in, I don't want to say like an assassination game strictly, because I don't want to limit it. Like, let's say it's some sort of a political machinations of uh, back in the Game of Thrones days, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> back in the time before there was like guns and everything, where everything would have to be done through agreements between families and through espionage and, you know, these kind of subtle poisonings and everything, where you have to infiltrate this enemy compound, either find ways to you know, through conversation, so discord within the within the group that you're up against, or maybe kind of subtly poison their food or you know just do something to kind of disrupt the the array to eventually make them vulnerable to an attack from the outside later on. You're just kind of that first 
spy unit who's infiltrating. That's really interesting. So you find, you manage to locate or run across, like, I love the idea of happenstance of bumping Mm -hmm. into a guy who only after engaging with him, now we're, now we're kind of making it a little bit Hitman-esque, which is also perfect for a swan song. This is not our last episode, (laughs) we promise. Um, Uh where you learn something about a person and, oh, he's in charge of the, well, it can't really have a power grid. He's in charge of the nightly rotation of guards or something. And so you end up finding a way to get him sick or detaining him in some way. And therefore you and your troops are able to slip past the guards at night, something like that. But I really do love the idea of trying to, not only weaken through that way, but maybe even phase three feels like a for honor where there are several key people or a, mm-hmm. a shadow of Mordor where there are key commanders and stuff in this camp and you're back taking over the first person, the spy that you initially played with to eliminate these people. Shadow of war does kind of have versions of all three of these phases. You know, at, at yeah. first you're stealthy and you're planning out your attack, then you get spotted. And then all of a sudden it's a kind of a character action game. Then you call in your armies to lay siege to these fortresses. And so, you know, I want to find ways that, um, you know, that we can take this that haven't been, been done before to really branch out into something wild. So what if this kind of controlled a little bit more like the Sims and less like a game that you would immediately associate with combat? Where oh, interesting. It's about, um, you know, you're kind of doing a lot of those hitman type things, but from that viewpoint, you're kind of, it's more about exploring in and out of the rooms and always kind of being um, inconspicuous or gaining the trust of the people around you and forming those social relationships. And maybe it could even last, you know, for, for weeks at a time, you're ingraining yourself into these cultures, or maybe you just try to very sneakily get in and, and poison a cup of wine and then sneak out of the castle or whatever. Yeah. I like pulling it out to a Sims perspective, especially because once you're talking with those people, you can, you can rely more heavily on, theming and conversation than the more obvious you know visual or audio cues of you know what these people could potentially be susceptible to Mm -hmm. or interested in so actually engaging with people in conversation or finding ways to maybe you're learning the best path to get through the city or you're you're finding out about some secret entrance or something Mm -hmm. how do you think in that scenario we capture because a, a big key for this for me was the idea of presenting essentially the Trojan horse thing where you're presenting some key person or group with what they are sure is a gift. And of mm-hmm. course it backfiring on them. And maybe it doesn't have to be this, like everybody's hiding in a horse, right? Like that's a little too on the nose, but you know, maybe the gift to the king is poison. Maybe the gift to the city that, you know, what everybody thought was this uh, wonderful resource that you gave them is actually harmful or detrimental in some way. Perhaps you can find ways to transmit what you've learned to the people on the outside if you want to give them an advantage if they're planning to launch some sort of an attack on the city. Uh, but it's kind of risky to try to find a way to safely send a message because you never know if they're listening in on the 
I don't know, telegraph lines or whether people will see you or catch intercept the carrier pigeon with the note that you're sending out of the castle or wherever it is. Um, or maybe you choose to kind of take it into your own hands and, you know, poison something that you know that the royalty would like or uh, do something that would be kind of culturally consistent with what you've observed of this um, of this nation, of this castle, and uh, and try to sneak some attack in that way. Imagine if it's Simish, com- combine it a little bit with a point-and-click adventure game, and mm-hmm. you could get yourself something like you have to beat a series of cities by exploiting weaknesses, but each city that you go to has an interesting way to weaken another city. So you get a Mega Man-esque mm. <laughs> like, preferred city order to play. Like, oh, if you play City 2 first and you go to the encampment where there's doctors and the, the plague has started, right? You oh, can yeah, maybe take some, <laughs> this is sounding horrible now, you can take some blankets or you can take something um, uh-huh. and you know, use it to poison another city's water supply and make it that much easier to take over another city. Um, And then a resource of one city could potentially be harmful or distracting in some way to another city. So once you beat city one, you get a ton of gold and now you can go bribe city three into opening their gates. It does seem interesting, kind of like a, like a reverse city management game where you're actively trying to make it worse. Yeah, from the ground yeah. level as like an individual managing all of these things. <laughs> and of course, city manager checking off another yep, playwright there we go. box. <laughs> I knew we were going to circle around to it. Bingo. I got bingo. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, that's all the time we have on that one. Do you have a name for this this game of espionage? I don't love this name. I have been calling it Trojan Infiltrator, but I like the idea of anything else. But if if we can't think of one, Trojan Infiltrator is fine. Trojan Infiltrator happens to be my preferred brand. So, uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, good for you, sir. All right. Well, you know what? Let's stick with that. And um, yeah, just I, I think that'll sell. I think you put that on the shelf. People will probably throw it into the cart without looking too too closely at it. I think so. And maybe we can get that good SEO juice from Trojan Infiltrator <laughs> as well. So. Yep. Yep. (laughs) I like that. All right. I'm going to pitch a game now because that's what we do here. I don't know why I'm so formal in introducing it. I feel like since this is apparently our last episode. Well, that's true. I feel like I should coax your pitch out of you better. Do you want me to do that more on the show? (laughs) Yeah. You know, really make me want it. Really make me uh, (laughs) thirsty for it before I can... Get Please. It out there. Oh, H, I can't wait to hear what you're about to blow my mind with today. <laughs> what I have, it's not entirely figured out, but that's why we're here, is a point and click adventure plus a rhythm game. Again, checking off all of our boxes. <laughs> uh, basically, what I want is you're in these environments and you have to solve puzzles to arrange note lanes, essentially. And uh, then you play the song that you would be playing. And so I'm thinking like a touchscreen interface uh, with the rhythm game, kind of like a Voez or a Demo or something like that, uh, with notes scrolling from the top of the screen. Up until that point, you're in this more kind of naturalistic environment and you're solving environmental puzzles to kind of put the, the shapes in place to make these lanes for the notes so you can actually start to play the songs. 
So it's uh, kind of similar to our, our crappy bird pitch the other day. And uh, <laughs> I just kind of wanted to take that further and see what else we could do with it. So I'm going to start the clock there. So when we think about rhythm games, I immediately start to think of scoring and how we're going to handle getting points or something like that in a game like this. So did you have a your distinct win scenario or what beating this game looks like? Well, since every stage kind of culminates in a rhythm game, then essentially it's a matter of just doing well at the rhythm game. Yeah. And so, you know, getting a high score on that and uh, maybe even uh, uh, there was a, a game that I keep talking about. We've mentioned it on the podcast before, uh, Fantasia Music Evolved. And um, that's a, a Xbox One Connect game. I believe they also put out a 360 version for the Connect. Um, but anyways, in the in the story mode, you're given these panoramic scenes of underwater or outer space or in the inner city or something like that. And as you complete more of the songs, it gives you the ability to arrange things in the environment to trigger like beat loops and stuff and to kind of like restore animation and music and color to these different environments. But yeah. I always really liked that idea of having kind of a complex scene in front of you and then somehow making like an orderly music out of that. So we're taking objects in the environment and kind of composing them in the way to build a song. If you play the game Hidden Folks, yeah, mm-hmm. I like the idea. I One of the things I like the most about Hidden Folks is its sound design. So I wonder if there's a way to take the the different environments and have the end result that rhythm section do you imagine it's a little something of my own design or is it that i've put everything in the correct like there is a prescribed correctness to the scene i was thinking it would be kind of like a traditional point and click adventure game like a monkey island would be kind of a correct order and so you'd always be looking for you know all these tracks would be kind of like guitar hero tracks would be like five lines kind of all coming towards the screen in this kind of pyramid shape because it's uh, going into the distance and converging there. And so you'd always be almost like those perspective puzzles like you see in a lot of games, always looking for things you can put in place to be these five pyramid-shaped lines next to each other. Yeah, I like the idea of having finding just the correct wedge shape to get some yeah. of the edges. Whether that's like knocking over a ladder and putting a garden rake next to that and, you know, just aligning it with power lines or just however it is that you're looking at these environments. Have you thought of, I know you're talking about it as a point and click, but this would also strike me as a fun way of doing a physics kind of game. I don't know how many Mm -hmm. rhythm games or rhythm things have been based off of physics puzzles because it can get a little sloppy, (laughs) but finding and investigating these items and then maybe having some method of physically removing them from their space and, and putting them in the right thing as opposed to, it's almost like the point and click adventure method feels to me like it would end up feeling a lot like a like a mist puzzle if that makes any sense like a diegetic sound that would lead into a song so i could see that working yeah especially if <laughs> somehow the environment was moving or rocking back and forth there yeah you're assembling a giant clock in uh, you know <laughs> keeping time in that way 
Is there a story underpinning to this? I want something that can escort people to very distinct locations. So maybe something like a Carmen Sandiego type setup where you're chasing yeah. this, uh, like a criminal around the world or you're is something that requires globe hopping. So you find yourself on all these different continents with different looking environments. Then we also have to make sure that at one point we figure out a way to get the main character to interact with a old 90s computer terminal and have a MIDI sequencer built into the game itself <laughs> uh, or some fun throwback to make chip tune or otherwise music. Yeah, that would be interesting, being able to create your own levels for other people to figure out, but that would require, you'd need some very exact <laughs> controls, placement tools. of items. You need a lot of assets if you want it to be kind of continually unpredictable. When we're taking these items and we're placing them where in my own collection, like am I collecting all these artifacts from different locations and essentially making these master compositions or it's kind of place by place, island by island, whatever area by area I'm going through. And each of those is both the miniature story stuff of taking the right actions and and finding the right objects, and then the larger solve of creating the song. Uh, yeah, I, I don't want to really deal with inventory management because I like every. I like the idea that everything kind of stays out in the world and it's always visible, and you're not combining items necessarily. You'll just kind of find clever ways to knock things into place or to transport something from one side of the screen to the other, and yeah. kind of setting up these almost Rube Goldberg-like machines of. You know, you can uh, set a carrot down somewhere that can cause a goat to walk to the other side of the field, but you uh, you tied the goat's tail to a ladder and that causes that to, you know, all these different uh, machinations that the player can set up in their typically spacey point-and-click adventure logic. I think this is compatible, but I really like the feeling that this game could potentially provide of... There is a popular perspective, I think, that games like XCOM and this War of Mine use is the sort of you see half of a building and you're kind of zoomed out and you can see in between walls and all this stuff as your character navigates mm -hmm. around. I love the idea of approaching a big room like that and just knowing whether it's an adventure game or not that you are you're inside of a big puzzle, right? Mm. And that feeling of oh, I, you know, just hitting a screen and knowing that there's a song there or that there's uh, yeah right there's something there and maybe you hear some faint suggestion of it, um, but pulling out and having a sense of scale where their player feels really small sometimes as well as having like, oh, you're fixing a small music box in, in a place. Yeah, or maybe a part of it is seeing those environmental puzzles around you, kind of like The Witness, where I'm just kind of looking around the room now and I've got a like a nice grid of uh, tiny mystery science theater posters above my desk. And in between all of them are column divides. So, you know, yeah. there are lines in there. And so I could potentially kind of snapshot that and then turn those lines into a touchscreen music game. And maybe there's a number of these things around these environments that if looked at from the right perspective can hide these. Um, and so you're always kind of looking for vertical lines because that could potentially lead to the um, the rhythm games that you'd, you'd want to play. 
Yeah, and that could play that plays into the sense of scale, right? With games like The Witness, mm-hmm. where you know I, I don't want to spoil too much for Witness people, but there are moments when you realize it, puzzles can take on a uh, more than just the scale that you have assumed puzzles can take on, and that moment is a little transformative in that game. And I think that that this game could feel very much the same way, where. You're in an intimate environment and you're finding these lines and you're finding these compositions to make things uh, musical. And then you can also pull out and have larger, grander environments. Maybe it's even Mm -hmm. the locations you're traveling between. You're finding some way of connecting those. Like I've used this example before, but like the last level of a Katamari game where you're kind of constantly always zooming out. Of you're you're starting very you know intensely focused on the contents of a tabletop, and then you zoom out to a room, then you zoom out to the neighborhood, then you zoom out to the you know countryside, then all of a sudden you're looking at universes and composing these kind of symphonic arrangements that way. I don't know. There's there's a lot of potential there, but we're out of time, Ah. so I need to think of a name. I love the weirdness in the charm of this. So I wonder if there's some way to focus in on on those two things. I feel like I could use a double use of note. Something like ransom note that doesn't fit, but you know, some some sort of a note that could either apply to a musical note or like a note you would be making about What if you if we combine that with a travel thing, you could you could call it lands of note. Lands of note. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, I think we found it. That one's really good. (laughs) Moving on to a community submission. This was pitched through our homepage. And if you have an idea, a video game idea that you would like to pitch, or even a board game idea, gosh, we don't want to discourage anybody who has anything eating away at the back of their mind, then you can go to playwrightcast.com slash pitch to pitch that directly to to us. Or you can email us playwrightcast at gmail.com. And we will read it out on the show. We will talk about it. We will transform it. We will name it however long it takes us. <laughs> and if you're going to pitch a board game, give me a couple weeks advance notice, because if you think I stumble and bumble now, boy, oh boy, I really won't know what's going on with board games. <laughs> this one's coming from Sam Quirk, we've heard from before, who says, I just got back from a screening of an incredible documentary about Dr. Jane Goodall and it got me thinking about a game in a similar style to Campo Santo's upcoming In the Valley of the Gods. But instead of a documentary about ancient Egypt, you're a scientist trying to observe and document animal behavior. It would be a first-person game in which you would need to decide your approach. How much danger do you put yourself in in order to get the greater rewards of close-up observation? How intrusive is your research hub? Are you affecting the animal's true behavior by interacting too directly? For example, giving them food or trying to communicate? I'll leave the rest to you guys, but I think it would be more interesting to keep this idea away from the tycoon-style management and more about the wonders and dangers of getting up close to animals in the wild. And we are starting the clock there. Sam, I hope uh, that I don't overlap with some ideas from, I think it's an episode back a while ago i think we called it bear and afraid which was about uh mm-hmm. being in a environment where you're slowly interacting and learning about a creature and having it take you on increasingly fantastical um journeys as you explore your relationship with it but i love the idea of zooming in on you know jane goodall talked about living amongst 
these animals and learning their customs. So maybe we even, you know, take a spin of it's not necessarily apes. Maybe it's just a strange kind of proto alien race. And you are, you know, the, the custom should seem strange, right? It should only through days and days of observation. Should you, should you be able to kind of get the beat on, Oh, they, they care for each other in this way, or they, they groom each other. Like when they Mm. make sound X, it means Y, you know? Well, one of the things that I got really excited about when I was reading this, you know, I kind of went in two directions. One is maybe this is a telltale style adventure game of a kind of conversationally based, but you're not able to verbally communicate. So finding ways to kind of express things uh, through your, your, motions and through your actions rather than through your your speech or alternatively this could be a somewhat robust and interesting vr or a connect or a playstation move type game where it's all kind of motion based where you have that very exact motion tracking software and it's kind of up to you especially if you're in vr it's be really interesting to kind of go face to face with these apes or aliens or whatever it is and uh, almost like in um, the new Planet of the Apes movies where Caesar is learning to communicate with the humans, you're learning to communicate with them. And it's all based on how you, the player, are actually moving so you can observe what they do with their bodies and with their hands and how they approach each other and the etiquette that they use. And you can kind of mimic the hand motions and pick the fleas out of their hair yeah. or whatever it is that they use to interact I love it. I don't even know if this was a popular movie, but I used to watch it as a kid with my grandmother. It was called It's the Grizzly Man. <laughs> it's the Grizzly Man, yeah. Uh no, it was called Gorillas in the Mist. Um with oh, you know, Sigourney I've heard of Weaver. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a Sigourney Weaver movie, and she is uh living uh in these tribal lands with gorillas all over the place, and there's a lot of drama, and I love the idea of bringing some themes of that movie into this right so if it's a telltale style adventure then you can have the corporation that's funding your efforts maybe they have specific goals that they want out of you and you can Mm -hmm. choose whether or not you're going to sort of satisfy your sponsors or yeah uh, learn maybe potentially wherever this journey is going to take you with these animals and then there was also dealing with things like poachers and uh, there was actually poaching patrols. And actually, it, the movie climactically gets a little violent at the end. It's pretty crazy. Mm. But um, the idea of being able to have that arc and start with these animals that are potentially imposing or terrifying and develop a real fondness for them and then have to defend them in some way, whether it's against, you know, an, an evil interest or uh, people who would see them harm. You can uh, take the persona approach or like the dating game approach, which I hope is the only time during this conversation in which we're going to be mentioning that particular genre, where you have to really choose how you spend your time, whether it's investing more in gaining the trust of these animals or whether it's spending more time filming and being kind of an uninvolved observer or spending more time kind of negotiating with the group who's funding you uh, to kind of demonstrate what you've been taught and what you've learned during Mm. this time. And 
the story can branch in all different ways based on where you choose to spend most of your time. Now that we have mentioned both uh, Persona dating games, let me take in and really complete the list of playwright tropes <laughs> and say it would be really cool to, at the end of this, whether the game generates or you're able to put together some sort of film or documentary yeah. about your time uh, learning about these animals and uh, potentially that way being able to frame your sponsors in a certain way or frame the mm. poachers in a certain way and get retribution cachet politically as opposed to being able to save these animals and you're choosing how how to manage the end right and again to reference an earlier idea that we've talked through before it's like that uh, that war photography game that we yeah, did in exactly. uh, one of our very early episodes where you aren't just choosing from several set locations to take photos from, you know, you actually hold the camera in your hand and you have to move around. And you know, if you don't want to be seen, then maybe you crouch in the grass and try to film through the blades, or maybe you set it up far away and then you can go and interact with the animals or whatever. And so these are all your choices and having that freedom and taking those risks yourself, uh, you know, compiling the footage together yourself could be a really interesting exercise. Sam references Campo Santo here, and mm -hmm. I just love the moments of Firewatch when Firewatch had the great photography mechanic, right? And then I think they, they partnered with uh, the company Panic so that people could print out their photos yeah. that they take. <laughs> so I love the idea of being able to document these, uh, these creatures in their moments and then have physical attachment in real life to them. <laughs> but also the moments where in Firewatch you're, you have the suggestion of conspiracy or you have the suggestions of mm. danger to yourself or to someone else, those can be very affecting. And so to try and pull those elements into this game and, you know, I'm thinking gorillas in the mist and I'm thinking this misty land and yeah. you're, you're going out with these creatures and... Maybe you can't see too much in front of you. You're just trusting that they're leading you to the right place. And maybe they're leading you to danger. Who knows? But creating yeah. those emotional moments, I think, would really make this feel uh, very compelling for me. Especially, you know, I, for whatever reason, I find that the Telltale series games almost creates a, a TV style of drama, which is like, mm -hmm. oh, look at this. Isn't this interesting? Where... I, I feel like the drama in this could come from, quote unquote, living it. You know, there's aspects of like the last guardian in here as well. As yeah, well, yeah, where yeah. You're learning to trust this creature, this creature's learning to trust you. And, you know, whether or not you feel like you can fully rely and there's an aspect of autonomy to it as well, that it's not always going to do what you want it to do, but you just kind of have to roll with it. You know, I know Sam doesn't want us to lean too heavily into it here. But I do think if you bring in the idea of the sponsor or these micro deliverables that you're trying to meet, mm -hmm. then it would be interesting to, you know, he talks about managing how much, how much do you spread out your research? How much yeah, do you right. introduce technology or equipment into it? And I do think it would be interesting to have a base station. Have you ever played the game Astroneer? No, but I think I know which one that is. Yeah, it's this weird little, it's still an early access. I would love to play it with you sometime, but 
you you have a little base that you're building the whole time and as you build on more technology and capability the base has to get bigger and spread out mm. by your own design and the idea of you know going down an interesting tech tree whether it's organically or artificially through the funds you're raising from the research you're doing um and exploring new capabilities maybe it's maybe it's as simple as camera upgrades and you know or the amount of cameras you have and the amount you're able to film, the angles you're able to get, or it can be as much as, you know, at the very end of the tech tree, you're able to develop a universal translator and actually have a conversation. <laughs> Wouldn't that be yeah, crazy? That'd be interesting. Or to honor Sam's request, not get too into the like God level tech trees and this kind of like very high level stuff. Like maybe you're just a grad student and you have a certain amount of funding to perform your research, but if you can send, you know, good uh, research tapes or good documentary tapes to your funders, then maybe you can convince them to spend some more money that you can use to purchase other equipment to kind of make things a little bit easier or, you know, to extend the amount of time that you have to work with the animals there. Anyways, there's, there's so many ways we can take that. Sam, thank you for sending that in. We're out of time Sam did not come in with a name, so we're going to have to think of one on our own. Thinking Jane Goodall, we're thinking research, we're thinking creatures, monster hunter. No, <laughs> you know me, I like pith, so I'm I'm wondering if we can just do something as simple as among them. If we called it studying, then anytime that somebody sees their uh, steam notification for a friend come up says, you know, <laughs> Ryan Quintel is now studying. <laughs> like, oh, you know what? Good for you. Yeah. He's very <laughs> oh, diligent. Oh, he turned things around. <laughs> hey, wait. <laughs> Stranger in a strange lab. <laughs> <laughs> Stranger in a strange lab is very good. And I think that that opens it up to being able to have any type of creature or uh, set it in this world or another or potentially have a bunch of little levels where you're kind of yeah, having vignettes. these yeah. Yeah, vignettes. So <laughs> I think that's great. Stranger, stranger in a strange lab <laughs> or, <laughs> or Dr. Strange lab is also very good. <laughs> uh, yeah, that is, that'd be a good expansion pack. How I learned to stop worrying and love the gorillas. That's all that we have for you today. Again, if you would like to submit your own pitch, this is the last one that's currently sitting in our inbox. And so please do send in another wave of those. We always appreciate receiving them. Then you can email us playwrightcast at gmail.com or go to our website at playwrightcast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at playwrightcast and all of those are spelled P-L-A-Y-W-R-I-T-E-C-A-S-T. Yeah, and if you don't send in your pitches, it's going to get really weird on the show, so... That is not that is not a positive promise. Go ahead and test <laughs> us. We will we will be creating content by the seat of our pants. Yes. Hey, H. Mm -hmm. I want to thank Protodome for the use of our theme song, Hello World. It's from the album Blue Noise. It's very good and you should check it out. Oh, that seems appropriate. <laughs> Why don't you uh take us out of the show today with a small idea, something that we can think about once we turn the radio off. This might already exist, but I love the frantic thought of friendly fire multiplayer asteroids. All right. We'll see you next week. Bye. <laughs>